0: This morning's um, passage is Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So we are in Psalm 125, and I hope that you've turned there with me. If you haven't already, please do so. We're going to spend the remainder of our time in Psalm 125. Uh, in spite of Scott's threats that he would read a different psalm this morning and see if I could put something together from that. Uh, I'm glad. I'm relieved. Uh, We do have some notes to work through from Psalm 125. I hope you join me there as well. Uh, In the past few weeks, we've been working through this series entitled Songs for the Journey, a study through Psalms 120 through 134. These psalms are a collection of psalms that are known as the Psalms of ascent, uh, songs of approach to the Lord for worship. In the past few weeks, we've been um, working through Psalm 123, 124, and now 125. Now, what's interesting is the psalms that build toward Psalm 123 are psalms that increasingly are looking for help. They're looking for the Lord. They're looking for rescue, okay? Okay. So that by the time we got to 123, we have this cry, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. Then, in Psalm 124 that we looked at last week, we have the Lord, who has been merciful to His people. And Psalm 124 looked back upon that mercy and confessed that the Lord's rescue has been seen in the past. So it's a psalm of thanksgiving, it's a psalm of relief, it's a psalm that looks to the Lord and sees that where they have cried in the past for mercy, the Lord has had mercy. Now by the time we get to Psalm 125 this morning, we have a psalm that instead of looking back, it looks forward. It looks forward in faith that the Lord will forever be our peace. Yes, we've cried out to Him. Yes, we've seen His rescue. And yes, He will be our rescue, our peace, our hope forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And we pray that in this psalm that is a confession of faith, that through Your Word this morning, by the work of Your Spirit to apply Your Word to Your people gathered this morning, that You would give us faith. That You would increase our faith. That You would confirm our faith. That we would trust in the Lord. And having trusted in the Lord, in faith, You would bear in us the fruit of faith. That You would make us a people that are by grace righteous. That are by Your sanctifying, ongoing work in Your people on the foundation of the rescue that we have in Christ. That we would become upright, and Lord, that we would hope in you until the end and forevermore. Thank you, Lord. We trust in you for all of these things this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to look at the psalm in three parts. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2 first, then verse 3 and verses Four and five to wrap things up. In verses one and two, the theme of that section is trust in the Lord. Look at it with me. Those who, all right, not, I hope you're seeing this pattern. It happens over and over and over and again in the scriptures that we have this word that could have been enough. Just, uh, you could simply say, those, there are a people who are like Mount Zion. But, We're given more information with this, what's called a relative clause, okay? Don't mess with me, or don't get worried. We're not going to go into an English lesson. But we have these little phrases, these who's, that are put into the Scripture that tell us what we're supposed to be calling to mind when we think about the rest of the psalm, okay? Those, when we think of those, what people are we thinking about? We're thinking about the people who trust in the Lord. The subject of the psalm is a matter of trust. Now, a number of, really years back now, we spent a good deal of time in the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books in the Bible, perhaps my favorite. In the book of Hebrews, there's probably no more famous chapter on faith than Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 begins in this way. Now, faith, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I mentioned that this passage, unlike Psalm 124, looks forward. It looks to God's grace and mercy in the future. Therefore, it is a psalm of trust and faith, an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not yet seen. A.W. Pink says this about faith. I think this is incredibly helpful. A.W. Pink writes, faith then is first the hand of the soul which lays hold of the contents of God's promises. Faith is the hand of the soul that lays hold of the contents of God's promises. Second, it is the eye of the soul which looks out toward and represents them, that is, the promises of God, clearly and convincingly to us. You see, faith considers. Faith molds over and rehearses the promises of God. As faith considers God and His Word, the soul is trained to both see the promises of God more clearly, As we mull them over, as we call them to mind, as we consider the promises of God, we see them more clearly, and we become convinced of their surety more convincingly by faith, looking at the promises of God. This psalm does that work for the pilgrim on his journey. and So we join with the psalmist in considering faith in looking to the Lord for faith and considering His promises as we make our journey through this life until we see the Lord face to face. And friends, that day is coming. And by faith, we we look forward to that day. We call that day to mind. We grab that day by the hand of faith and pull it into the present. And we will enter that eternal rest and home. And by faith we contemplate the promises of God by which we will be brought to that home. You see, faith takes hold of not only the final hope, but also the means by which God would carry us to that home. The means by which God would keep and protect His faith-filled people as we stand in these promises. As we stand as a people of faith, Not only a people who who look ahead toward what He has procured for us, but a people who look now at the way that He is preserving us until that day. We will not be moved. This is the work of God and His people. Trust. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. The emphasis in this psalm is those who trust... In the Lord, okay? Before we get too excited about those who trust, before we get too too excited about our faith and begin to think that what we need to do is we need more faith. Because what we begin to do is we have faith in our faith. And we have faith in how much faith we have. So what do we need more of? Our faith. No. Our trust is in the Lord. What do we need more of? The Lord. The Lord. What do we need to gaze upon? Our faith? Our trust? No. The Lord. And as we gaze upon Him and in Him, as we consider His promises and His work, our faith is increased. Those who trust in the Lord. Why? He's trustworthy. Simple answer. He is the one who surrounds His people. After all, He is the one who has established the mountains. And He is like the mountains that surround people. I think that trustworthiness is one of the most underdeveloped practical teachings of our faith. Have you given due attention to the trustworthiness of God? That's a question for you. Think about it. Have you given due attention in your life to the trustworthiness of God? Have you considered his works in the past? so that your faith would be strengthened for the future. Psalm 124, Psalm 125. Do you see how it works? Have you rejoiced and given thanks for His mercy in the past that you would find Him trustworthy and find in Him a stronghold for the future? This is one of the most practical things that a believer can do. And I would encourage you to rehearse the trustworthiness of God with a Bible in hand. That's the means of our rehearsal. It's our rehearsal book. I would encourage you to rehearse the trustworthiness of God by remembering His work according to His Word. This is the whole reason that the Bible Together journal that we've been talking about for the past few months, that at the back of that journal, there is a reading plan. And the reading plan is called the History of Redemption reading plan. And it simply walks through the works of God throughout history to call them to our mind that our faith would be strengthened by looking, rehearsing, remembering the great and mighty works of God for his people. And our faith is increased. We rehearse the theme of God's promise and fulfillment that runs like a thread throughout all of redemption history. How practical to simply remember that when God speaks, He establishes mountains. What is the power of God's Word? And then we have confirmed throughout history, recorded for us in His Word, just how powerful it is when He speaks. What happens when the Lord speaks Things happen. They're called into being. This is why so often when God would fulfill His promises, the people would gather piles of rocks to serve as a practical reminder to them that the Lord has been trustworthy. They remember the day that they stood right here where this pile of rocks is. They remember the Lord worked to preserve and protect His people today. Why did they do that? So that they would remember something in the past? Sort of. But it wasn't the goal. The goal wasn't to remember something in the past, but to confirm something for the future, you see. Our remembering, our rehearsing, our recounting is for the purpose of the building of faith and hope into the future. Spurgeon calls trust in the living God. I I just cannot think of three better words trust in the living God, is sanctified common sense. When you see something happen two, three, four, five times in a row consistently, what do you expect to happen on the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth time? Sanctified common sense. The Lord, after all, is God, as we've rehearsed, In the Psalms already, he's the maker of heaven and earth. His promise, his word, will stand. It will be established as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. This is the work of the Lord. This is what he has set his mind to do. And if the Lord sets his mind to something, it will be so. I'm reminded of the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, there's a fascinating account of the Lord telling Jeremiah to buy some land, okay? Make an investment. The odd thing about the Lord's command to Jeremiah is that that land that he is told to buy is land that is about to be conquered by a foreign power. Let me just give you a little bit of real estate advice. It's a foolish thing to buy land When war is about to be the breakout, and there is about to be a transfer of power in the land that you are about to purchase. Oh, and you and your people are about to be carried off into exile. It's a bad real estate decision. Yet the Lord goes to Jeremiah and says, purchase that land. And the Lord had told Jeremiah that in a matter of just 70 years, the people would be restored to that land. Now, let me be clear. There is no evidence at all. In the moment that Jeremiah heard the word of the Lord to purchase the land and heard the word of the Lord that the people would be returned to the land, there was zero evidence that that was going to happen at all. The only thing Jeremiah had was the word of the Lord. That's it. Buy the land. Many years ago, when uh, preaching this, when I was hearing this passage preached, I was sitting with my father, and the pastor suggested that for Jeremiah to buy the land, when all evidence said one thing only the word of the Lord said that the people would return, the pastor said that this was a leap of faith for Jeremiah. I remember walking out after the church service, and my father He turned to me and said, that's no leap of faith. I'm sorry, this time the pastor got it wrong. Jeremiah would be a fool not to take that deal. There is no risk at all. If the Lord said it, it's just the way it's going to be. All evidence aside, the word of the Lord standing on one side of the scale Alone. No risk at all. Jeremiah bought the land. He had what Spurgeon called sanctified common sense. He paid attention to the simple word of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, they were back in the land in 70 years. There's no leap of faith. In fact, a leap of faith is a poor description for Christian faith. Faith is standing firmly with both feet in place, anchored to a rock that comes in the form of the promise and presence of the Lord Himself. That's not a leap. In fact, you're not supposed to go anywhere. But stand there where the Lord has come to you by His Word. And not move. Be steadfast. Be patient. Be long-suffering. Endure in that place, no matter what may come. And friends, in that place, we're told, there are mountains on every side that are the presence of the Lord. Whether or not you can be moved... Depends on the ground that you're standing on. Because the person of faith, the one who trusts in the Lord, isn't going anywhere. The believer stands on the mountain of the Lord. The passage says that he cannot be moved, verse 2, if it had not, as the Lord surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Again, Charles Spurgeon, so helpful in this psalm this week. He says, so the people of God can neither be moved passively nor actively by force from without or fickleness from within. I'll be honest, I'm not too terrified of the things that are around me. I know who to be afraid of. It's me. I am the greatest enemy to faith. No enemy may destroy us from without, but no sin may overthrow us from within. We are the forever people of God because of the sure work of Jesus Christ to overthrow the enemies of God, both without and within, so that only grace remains for the believer in Jesus Christ. Note that this is a people, those who trust in the Lord, that cannot be moved. The Lord protects and preserves a It's not merely that some attribute of the Lord will defend us. It's not some auxiliary power that God has sent to defend His people. He doesn't simply send angels, or an army, or good advice. It's the Lord, the very Lord, maker of heaven and earth, who is present to protect His people. If we are surrounded by the Lord Himself, then no harm can come to us except the enemies defeat the Lord Himself. You do the math. Friends, that's sanctified common sense. Because the Lord, His very presence, is the protector of His people. Therefore, we can know that no suffering, think about this, no suffering can come our way except that it be for our good, for our Lord in His presence has allowed it to come. No suffering, no trial, no enemy can come anywhere near us except that it come through the Lord. How else could such an enemy or suffering make it through our first and only line of defense? It's for that reason that Romans 8 becomes so precious and so important and so confirmed to us. Romans 8, verse 31 what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, here's what this does for us. It allows us to smile at the day of trouble. It allows us that if trouble does come, we can say, I know your trouble, but you can't be against us. If you're here, you're here for a reason. I don't know what it is. But the Lord knows exactly what He's doing because He's in the presence of His people. He didn't go anywhere. He is present, and suffering is here. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, trust, faith, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. He has a purpose for His people. And we can trust in the Lord. We can smile, laugh, at the day of trouble. Let me punctuate this first point with this. We can know this, that for the people who trust in the Lord, nothing comes our way for any other purpose than that God would redeem His people. No, nothing comes our way that it would harm us or move us in any way then into further trust in Him. If we find ourselves moved by the providence of God, surely the purpose is not to remove us, but to bring us closer to home. Friends, I have found myself moved many times in life. But I have often found it is because God is moving me closer to Him, more intimately into His protection. There's cause for confidence in trust. And this is where the psalmist goes in verses three and four of the passage. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. There's a very simple logic to this passage. The Lord is the singular ruler of the people who trust in him, there's no other Lord available. It is for this reason that the Lord protects His people from the rulers of the world because He alone is their ruler. As we'll consider again in just a moment, this psalm is written to a people with a very particular promise, a a particular covenant promise. The Israelite people settled in Israel and Judea, settled in Jerusalem for the worship of the Lord. This psalm is written for that people. If they together with their kings and their people, would trust in the Lord according to the covenant of God, both to keep the commands as they are written in the law, and to turn to him in repentance as exemplified in the sacrificial system. These two parallel realities, both obedience and repentance, the Lord would keep them in the land, the land of Israel. A land land reserved for the purpose of obedience and repentance. Insofar as the king and the people trusted in the Lord, according to this promise, they would never be removed from this land. And it would serve the Lord and his purpose for his people. But if they failed to trust in the Lord, and friends, this was part of the promise that would stand firm. This was part of the covenant that God made with the people, if they failed to trust in the Lord, both in obedience and in a failure to return in repentance, they would be judged and removed. Now, it's difficult to read this psalm with a perspective of biblical history. You see, we know something of what happened in Israel. We know that the people turned away from the Lord repeatedly, and they failed to turn again to him, despite the Lord's sending of prophets over and over again. Years later, even as Jerusalem is rebuilt under the direction of Nehemiah, it never rose again to the former glory of the Davidic kings. And we pray to this day that these people who so long carried the word of God from generation to generation so that in their midst, God's word has been preserved even to come to our ears. We pray that the people of Israel would turn to their God in faith. Even as we remember that the gospel itself has been brought to us from disciples sent out from Jerusalem, this city, and then into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So verse 3 becomes to us a powerful image, a metaphor, and a future realistic hope. It's a powerful metaphor in this way. Today, in the age of grace, having seen Jesus the Messiah and having been sent to the ends of the earth, God has made his residence on the earth, not in a city, but in a people. Wherever God's people are, there are the mountains of the Lord surrounding in mercy. I'll say it again. Wherever God's people are, according to the very gift of the Spirit of God Himself, wherever God's people are, there the mountains of the Lord are surrounding in mercy. When the enemy assaults, we must rest assured that the Lord surrounds His people, when we're assaulted by an enemy, we make pray on the grounds of this verse. Lord, we we can't be moved. We are Your people. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stand where You are. And we're going to trust in Your mercy. When the enemy presses in on us, where does such trial and oppression drive us? Trial and oppression... Difficult sufferings press in on the people of God. The question is, will we fit and rage? And honestly, as I watch the church, and I watch myself, make no mistake, the answer is yes. (laughs) We're going to fit and rage. Will we devise and scheme? Will we simply commiserate and build coalitions to rescue us? Or will we, as this psalm calls us to do, Trust in the Lord. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to look to the hills. For this is where the Lord has established His people. And I'll wait for my King to come. But it's also a psalm that gives us a future reality. It's only half of the truth to say that the Lord has made His home with His people it's only half of it's true but it's only half of the truth. The Lord has also brought and is bringing his people to his home. It's good news that the Lord has made his home with us. It's even greater news that the Lord is making our home where he is. Listen to Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. I would encourage you. This is one of those places you can go. Go to the Word of the Lord and remember the hope and promise that we have in God. Colossians 3, verses 1-4, through If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Where is Christ? Now, it's true. He's with us by His Spirit. Right? But it's only half true because Christ is also seated at the right hand of God. That's where Christ is. Our God is on the throne of heaven. From the throne, He will not be moved, but for one day in which He returns to once and for all bring the people to Himself. It continues, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Our business is to set our minds by faith to this eternal throne, by faith to dwell in the presence of the Lord and his eternal kingdom. You see, by faith, we can be right here, surrounded by the presence of the Lord. And by faith, we can be right there, by the seat of heaven. It's what it says. Look at it. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Friends, this is the most precious gospel reality that we are already hidden with Christ in God. So when we answer the question, where is God? We can say, right here with us. And on the throne of heaven. And our answer, is He with us? Yes. And we are with Him. We are in both of these places. I'm right here. And my position is utterly secure in the heavenly places. Faith is the believer reaching forward into heaven so that heaven bleeds backward into the daily trials of the present to create a straining forward For joy in that future hope. Faith clings to the hope. Remembers the promises. In the middle of trial, reads and remembers and prays and shares with a brother and sister who are suffering. Colossians chapter 3. Reaches into that reality and pulls it into present hope. By faith. Now we are in a historical moment, unlike the moment in which the psalm is written but not unknown in history to the people of God. We have no land. Does this psalm hold any hope for a people who have been dispersed? And I'm reminded of the parable of the four soils, that the land in which the the seeds are planted is the soil of the human heart. I know that this makes a metaphor of a very real and concrete psalm. For surely God's promise of a land and rest for his people still stands. That's in Hebrews, friends. It's in the Word. But might it also be so that the rule that God has established over our hearts, our wills, and our lives will not be interrupted, and we can find that hope in Psalm 125. The scepter or rule of wickedness will not rest on our hearts. The Lord reigns with us and he dwells within us. He establishes glory and dominion and kingdom within the hearts of his people. God established and, and and firms up a rule among the people of God, so that no other rule or way or unrighteousness might be established among the people. I'll tell you one of the ways that I see that very practically playing itself out in my own life. I love to sin. You do too. Or else I wouldn't. But I'm never satisfied in it. He has given me no rest there. And he always gives me rest in repentance and in his grace. And draws me right into his presence and mercy. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 briefly. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. What is the fruit of trust? I don't want us to lose track of the theme of the psalm. We could get distracted in verse 4. The psalm is a psalm of trust. It's a psalm of faith. A people whose trust is in the Lord. The psalm is... Those who do good, do good as a people of faith. These are not a people who are inherently righteous and can skip over verse 1. It's not like you're wandering around, there's this people who trust in the Lord, and then there's this other people who do good. And sometimes they mix and they're one and the same. No, those who do good are those who trust in the Lord. They are the ones who are upright by faith. There's no righteousness apart from faith. One of my daughter's favorite Proverbs, and really it's one of mine as well, Psalm Proverbs 33, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, on all your ways, in all your walk, in all of your decisions in all of your life. Acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. It doesn't lean on our own will. It doesn't lean on our own desires. Faith is a submission of our will and desires to a revealed purpose, a foreign way, a way not known to ourselves inherently, but gifted to us by grace. A new way of seeing and a new way of walking, a way of faith. It's an acknowledgement that the way of the Lord that we discover is a better way than mine by nature. A straight path that we walk in by faith is not necessarily, a straight path is not necessarily a path in which you will not find trouble. A straight path is a path that is clear and without deviation. On the straight path we may find trouble, but we know which direction to walk. and We know who is with us. As we do so, it's a path that's marked out for the traveler that we might not stray from it, that the traveler might continue on in that way. The psalm begins with trust, and then it continues in verse 4 with those who are good and upright. Friends, it begins with trust because goodness and uprightness A love of a new way is the consequence of faith in the life of the believer. We've dwelt upon that which is good, a new Lord whose way is beautiful. I'm remembering the Sermon on the Mount and our time there. The way of the King, we entitled that series. We consider the way of the King and we say, it's a better way. And we begin to walk in that better way. As people who are by grace, having seen good, are being made upright. This is the work of faith in the life of those who trust in Him. Even verse 5 is a request of faith and dependence. It begins with the request. Do good. Who's dependent in the passage? God's dependent on us to do good? No. We who have found a new way to walk are still a dependent people. And our Christ, Lord God, do good to a people who have found a new way to walk, who walk in your way, who do good, who walk in that which is upright. There are those who turn aside to their wicked ways. The ways that they walk are their ways. They are not the ways of faith. Friends, that is so important. It gives us a glimpse of what faith versus disobedience look like? You see, it's not obedience versus disobedience. It's faith versus faithlessness. The question is, in whom is our trust? It's for that reason that the definition that we often go back to of what sin is, is sin is our shaking of our fist at God, saying, on my own... I can live. I know a way. I have an appetite. I have a desire. And it leads me down a path. And I think it's good, God. But the one, and walk in often disobedience, but the one who has treasured the Lord in faith says, oh, I had a way. And I still have a foreign desire, a, for, a way that is foreign to God. But I've seen you my hope and my trust is in you, and so I walk in it. There's also a warning in this passage, very briefly. There are those, there are really only two ways to live, only two ways. There's the way that has the Lord as king and protector, and there is a way of self rule, self governance, self righteousness, and self protection. W. H. J. Page, a commentator on this passage, says this: Some persons are like the sand, ever shifting and treacherous. All of these ways that the Scriptures describes, those who wander off after their own way. Some are like the sea, restless and unsettled. Some are like wind, uncertain and inconsistent. Believers are like a mountain, strong, stable, and secure. To every soul that trusts him, the Lord says, Thou art Peter. You are a rock, for I have established you on me. And we're not going anywhere. This is what it means to remain steadfast in the protection of the Lord. We live in such a confusing moment in history. Uh, a confusing moment in the history of the church. Church confusing moment in history, particularly in Western culture. we live not only in a world that seems to be changing, but in a nation, particularly the United States that is seems so very confused. We live not only in what is increasingly a what looks like a key moment in history, but an increased moment of increased rhetoric in a historical moment, in our own nation. Brothers and sisters, hear this. This psalm gives us a song to sing. We have not arrived, and we will not arrive, until we arrive at the worship of our Lord. This is our only hope. Every other word... Every other bit of rhetoric sits on one side of the scale. Every other hope, every other way. On one, every other way. On one side of a scale. And then there is the way of the Lord and the word of the Lord. And this psalm gives us a song to sing. I would ask you, As you would consider your life in recent days, is it true of your soul, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion? I'm reminded of Mount Zion. There's something that happened there. That the Lord Himself, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh to dwell among us, who is the only one who is of His own nature and obedience and submission to the will of the Father at every moment, is Himself righteous and upright, in no need of rescue. That He set His face to that very hill, and He ascended a hill in Jerusalem, and He gave Himself for the wicked." That all who by nature are other, you and I, might be forgiven, saved, established, and surrounded. When I read this psalm, I I love to ask myself, which am I? Am I in verse 4 or am I in verse 5? Am I those who do good or am I those who turn aside to wicked ways? And Jesus hanging on a cross answers the question, we are verse 5. We are those who have turned aside. Only by His death on a cross, only by His taking the just punishment that is laid out in verse 5, might we be transferred to those who are in the protection of our God. Only by His forgiveness and grace. And so I would call you to that faith. We know that He not only ascended a hill, He ascended into the heavenly places. And for all who were redeemed by His grace on that day are with Him and will be with Him forever. We worship a risen King. His throne is in the heavens and His rule stretches to every corner of the earth. Our hope and our joy is that His rule has touched our hearts. And He's established us as His people. And we as a people confess to the Lord, Lord, this is good. And we're not going anywhere. There's no other Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that by your grace and word, by your spirit among us even this morning, that you would help us to nurture this gift of faith. That it would flower and bear fruit among the people this morning. And Lord, where there is faithlessness, where there is still trust in self, I pray that you would tear down that foolish labor. That you would give, by grace, a sanctified common sense to trust in the Lord today. To cry out to you for forgiveness of sin, salvation, sure hope, and peace for the people of God. Lord, we trust in you for this. In the name of Jesus, this morning, we pray this in your name. Amen.